Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, is a heavy load to carry. which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Live Label Free podcast. Today, I am joined by Lauren Sharifi, a registered dietitian nutritionist based in Massachusetts. Lauren owns a virtual private practice where she specializes in ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, and works one-on-one with parents, teens, and adults. She also runs a monthly support group for adults with ARFID. Lauren takes a neurodivergent affirming, trauma-informed, and responsive feeding approach to make eating and nourishment more accessible for individuals with ARFID and ARFID-like traits. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks, Liv. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm super, super excited. Um, <clears throat> I think the knowledge and just the um, the amount of information and just the information out there about ARFID, especially in correlation to neurodiversity I think it's just so limited um and I think me and Lauren actually met in in real life um when I was still living in Boston and um I had shared a podcast with her (laughs) about like how one treatment center treats ARFID and they were talking about this like deviled egg plate (laughs) and having people with ARFID try like 6,000 new foods a week and me and Lauren were just talking about how like we don't even have our fit and that would like already be overwhelming to us so anyways um I think it's so so important to be talking about this um with someone who understands our fit who works one-on-one with people who actually have this disorder um so kind of with all that said listeners who are unfamiliar with our fit or want to learn more probably wondering like what the heck is ARFID? So Lauren, can yeah. you tell us what, what ARFID is? Yeah. So like you had mentioned, ARFID stands for uh, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Um, so it's one of the newest eating disorders um, that I think it was about 2013 when I was first like in the DSM. So it's like not wow. even 10 years old, <laughs> wow. super new. So that's one of the reasons why not a lot of people know about it or heard about it like some I tell people what I do they're like what's that <laughs> so I have to teach them um and so what we kind of know is there's um three different uh subtypes of ARFID um so avoid there's an avoidant subtype which is often like sensory related differences um there's an aversive subtype so often these individuals have a fear of some adverse consequence so it could be vomiting it could be choking um it could be some other like allergic reaction, um, some other like a health event happening right. if I eat a certain food. Um, and then the last subtype is called restrictive. So it's often these people have very low interest in eating. They may get full quickly, um, really just have no appetite. 
Um, so often what I see in my practice is individuals will kind of fall into like have like a main subtype, but may actually fall into multiple subtypes as well. Um, so it's, you know, very different person to person. Um, that's, and that's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't interrupt, but that's, no, I okay. didn't even know that there were three subtypes. Yeah. Like I, I knew yeah. like what you were saying about like anorexia and bulimia and like any type of eating disorder that everyone is so, so different. And yeah. I, I, like I'm live label free because I don't like the labels. Um, but I think what you just mentioned about like, I think understanding what main subtype a person has obviously can really help you help that person and help you understand them mm -hmm. better. Um, yep. and, and especially what you're saying about like the lack of appetite. Um, and I know that some people um, with ARFID um, also just find a lot of food to be disgusting. Um, yep. Like I've heard that. And what now my brain is like triggered to like dive into the neuroscience about this yeah, um, yeah, because yeah. I, I read a lot about like autism and the connection to eating disorders um specifically anorexia um and I, I read an article about the insula and how the insula perceives disgust and people with anorexia mm -hmm. and autism tend to have like a, a higher disgust response so I'm right. like I'm thinking that like just based on that that maybe in in ARFID there's something with the insula going on. Um, but again, I, that's just an idea of mine. Yeah. Um, yes. so yeah. yeah, I mean, it just, it just fascinates me. Um, and because I am now instantly so fascinated by it and you just mentioned, it's like barely 10 years old. What got you interested in specializing in ARFID and even going into this field? Yeah. So, um, I've been a dietitian for over 12 years now and kind of have had my hands in a few different things. Um, but more recently, um, I was in a private practice um, run by Adagem, and I was getting a lot of eating disorder clients um, and kind of found an interest in that. And then at that same time, I was having my kids and finding an interest in working with families and like feeding differences, challenges. Um, so the combination of those two, I was getting a lot of individuals with ARFID and ARFID like traits. Um, and found a real interest in working in, with these clients and kind of realizing, oh, wow, like there's not a lot of resources like for even professionals, let alone clients, um, and kind of really wanted to fill that gap. And I started my practice about a year ago now and really decided that's like I wanted to specialize that, just kind of do that, help like really focus in on not only learning, but helping these individuals and families with you know, um, kids with ARFID. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I got here. Well, I um, think, yeah, I think that's amazing that you said, like, I really decided to, like, for lack of a better word, like, hone on, hone in yep. on this niche, um, because I think it is a very under-recognized niche. Um, and about a year ago, coincidentally, like, I also decided, like, I'm, I'm going to focus on bridging that gap between like neurodiversity and eating disorders um because yeah. before for many years like I mean I was I discovered I was autistic almost a decade after I was diagnosed with an eating disorder so mm -hmm. my whole kind of Instagram account which I believe I started like over five years ago um it was always like eating disorder focus like recovery from my eating disorder um like extreme hunger this like fullness waking you know all the things that they talk about um but no kind of hint of hint of autism because I was like I didn't know um and then when I discovered I'm autistic it like kind of started bleeding into it um but then the more and more I shared about 
the neurodiversity piece, the more and more I realized like, wow, this is a really underrecognized kind of um, niche. Um, And I think kind of that's like a similar story to you. Like you had some kind of taste of of working with that kind of clientele um and because you then realize I guess like wow this is so underrecognized um I think it's amazing that your heart kind of guided you to be a guidepost for other people um so I always love 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 to hear people's stories that's why I feel like every guest I've ever had on the podcast I'm like what's your story (laughs) um (laughs) sharing that um kind of yeah and kind of transitioning on to the next question um because like you said you kind of were working first with like several different eating disorders um I'm really curious and I'm sure that a lot of people are curious because this is like one of the things that are like people just don't understand it um what is the difference between ARFID and anorexia yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so ARFID is more of like a fear of like a negative health event or physical event happening um, versus anorexia is more that fear of weight gain, body dysmorphia. Um, and not that I, I do have individuals who have had both, <laughs> so it can happen. Um, but the ARFID part is more specific to that fear of like sensory overwhelm, fear of, again, like something that I had mentioned before, more of a physical thing, not the weight gain. That's interesting because, I mean, I don't mean to like put you on the spot now, but like I was diagnosed with anorexia and I didn't, I never had fear of weight gain or body dysmorphia. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and like when I was diagnosed with, with autism, um, I was like this, this whole course of my eating disorder makes sense to me because of that like it was always kind of like I hated feeling full I never wanted to outgrow clothes because I didn't want to change I was a very picky eater um which I, I think we can get into is like another misconception about ARFID um yes. but like for 10 years straight up until the point where I actually developed my eating disorder I ate the exact same thing for breakfast lunch and dinner like without mm-hmm. fail um and like if my parents gave like couldn't get me my mac and cheese dinner like I literally just would not eat um and Mm -hmm. another interesting thing which I think there's a lot of research being done about like the um impact of like traumatic birth on like the development of eating disorders and stuff um and I did have a very traumatic birth um and I was actually born two weeks late but I had the weight of a preemie baby which was really odd um so and they think like because I wasn't immediately able to um be with my mom after I was born like there's like a lack of oxytocin connection or something Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and and they think that that can they have found actually decreased levels of oxytocin in people with anorexia so a lot of fascinating science that I (laughs) find out um but I am like now and I've often questioned like in my journey like after discovering I'm autistic like was it even ever anorexia that I had mm-hmm. um just because I I never resonated with those I guess symptoms of the illness but at the same time I did resonate with like the underweight piece but then again I'm like anorexia isn't even about weight because you can have anorexia in a larger body too so this is again why I'm like we need to just stop with all these labels because um, yeah. yeah well anyways <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of now I'm very curious like how do you how do you recognize if someone has ARFID like and anorexia or like if or if they don't have body dysmorphia 
or the distorted body image, like in my case, and they're also like neurodivergent. So they have all these sensory issues. Like, could it be the case that it's an eating disorder, but it's not anorexia nor ARFID, if that makes any sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, you bring up a good point because I feel like there is some belief that ARFID itself is a neuro, like under the neurodivergent umbrella. So like individuals with ARFID, like how they experience food is differs from the norm is that bad is there something wrong a lot of individuals like especially kids if they're given enough of their safe foods they're able to grow develop normally some Mm -hmm. don't even have nutrition like deficiencies their growth is fine is that a disorder or is that just like a difference in eating so I think there is so like is it even a problem I think that's yes um and I can talk more about that too (laughs) I think that's a big question. Like, it may not even be a problem, but then there's other there's other things that happen in life <laughs> that compound right. exactly. to make it maybe a yeah. potential problem later I think, on. Like, I think that question you just posed of is it what what is actually a problem? Um, that's yeah. the question of life, right? <laughs> um, yeah. because I I think it's the same. Like, I always advocate for no diversity and in autism specifically, it's technically called in the DSM five autism spectrum disorder. But I do not see being autistic as a disorder. I definitely saw my eating disorder as a disorder because that negatively impacted my quality of life. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to being neurodivergent, like ADHD, autistic, um, having dyslexia, but being but being able to compensate very in a visually creative way, I'm like, it doesn't I think it's only a problem when we try and fit into the into this standard world right um like for me like I became an entrepreneur because I'm like I can never like in any life work a nine-to-five job I cannot work for someone else I would get fired after five minutes (laughs) because they tell me what to do and I'm like hell no you're not gonna tell me what to do um so like I like to be in control right and I I think that's what led to the eating disorder and and maybe that I think that's now another question that I thought of, um, because I think for me, the part of the reason why it was anorexia, despite the body image or fear of weight gain, was like that that need for control, right? Um, right. So, do you see that um, manifest like in your patients with all of it as well? Yeah, some. D- yes, I think so. Um, I think you know that can definitely be a component of it. Um, and every I know everybody's so different. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Def- definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now that we are talking about just like no diversity and autism, how how do autism and ARFID um tend to overlap? Yeah. So um, I think the big one we kind of mentioned too is like that the eating differences. So often yes. a lot of individuals have um with who are autistic also have like sensory aversions. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So that could be like. Um, it's often more like the overwhelm. So like a taste, a smell, um, a texture just can be very overwhelming and not enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so that's that's like a big one. Can so that averse it like uh, in trying to avoid those um foods. So that's where um I think there's like that commonality too of like liking the sameness, um, consistency. Um, so often there's a lot of like right, you got even mentioned in your experience too, eating like the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and that's, you know, maybe seen in our society is abnormal, but is it, I think that's a very like autistic culture thing, um, that I see a lot. 
um is there anything wrong with that (laughs) that they're growing normally and they're happy like totally fine um and then there's also some interceptive awareness differences so like some signals are more muted so like hunger um, might be muted so they're not able to tell when they're hungry and maybe fullness is like intense so that's where you feel like ah this is uncomfortable I'm full already um leading to like maybe inadequate intake um and then um other things might be like executive functioning differences which kind of come out in the adults that i see so they might have that difficulty like preparing planning remembering to eat all that like to get food on a plate if you're preparing yourself can be a lot of steps um and that might be so overwhelming um so there's some avoidance behaviors around that um so yeah, those I guess those are like the main things that I see in the overlap. Um, so are any of them bad? Like how can you accommodate that these things so that they're able to get an adequate intake is a lot of what like I'll help individuals right. with. Um, so they, they're able to <laughs> live their yeah. lives. I love to hear that because like literally almost everything you just mentioned, I'm like nodding my head like that's me um it's like the I talk a lot about interoceptive awareness and interoceptive difficulties um because I I personally um do not have reliable physical hunger cues like I often have to rely on my mental hunger um and coming from like a, a period of years of restriction where basically mental hunger was like this is not to be trusted kind of thing um it was really hard to kind of basically give myself permission at some point like this is how my body communicates with me and this is how Mm -hmm. I have to listen to it if I want to be the healthiest version of me that was really difficult and sometimes Um, I do realize like if I am really busy and I'm like super absorbed in like writing my book or doing a podcast or filming a video because that's that like hyper focus mode that us neurodivergent could get into and I like don't eat for several hours then I end up just like wanting to eat everything but the kitchen sink and then I'm like (laughs) indeed like I have a really hard time also sensing like when I am full so I Mm -hmm. in those kind of moments I'll just keep eating until I'm like okay actually like I just ate way too much um because it like it's like my body will only signal it to me once it's like okay physically not no piece of food will go into me anymore um so it's definitely like tricky navigating that like still for me and that's why I always call I always say we're all lifelong learners like even though I Mm -hmm. coach people and help people on this like no one's relationship with food is perfect or balanced because that literally doesn't exist um also I'm currently reading a book on like the polyvagal theory (laughs) for my like Mm -hmm. book on anorexia on autism and he he actually talks about the term homeostasis and that um the body is trying like constantly trying to go back into homeostasis but it's mm-hmm. never like at it's never actually in homeostasis because what that means is to be like never changing if that makes sense but the right. body is constantly changing um and then another thing you mentioned about um feeling like overwhelmed about getting food onto a plate like I live alone um so half the time like I don't even eat my food off a plate <laughs> I'll just like <laughs> go straight for the bread and like, sure, like you know like take the slice in my hand and smear the butter on and in Holland we put chocolate sprinkles on our bread um which all the Americans <laughs> think are crazy but here it's like the most normal <laughs> thing ever and I'm like yeah. why would I get a plate for this if I can just use my hand <laughs> yeah, um, yeah 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 and another thing um that I don't know if you have the, see this in your outfit clients too is that 
because I have a hard time like grabbing utensils I think because I just impulsive and don't have the patience for it too is that Mm. I'm constantly like washing my hands because my hands I can't uh take like stickiness or just anything on my hands so yeah if I go to make a meal like I will wash my hands like 30 times like it's crazy yeah um so do you see that in your outfit clients too yeah for sure yeah they a lot of them will have different difficulties touching certain textures or not liking the the touch to touch stuff they'll using a lot of utensils to touch things inside of their hands and yeah for sure yep and a lot of avoidance around that I was Mm -hmm. fascinated by outfit before but now I'm like exponentially (laughs) so I'm like especially because of that neurodiversity aspect I think it it totally makes sense how how people with outfit fall often under because I'm I'm really curious now like have you ever do you come across clients with outfit that have just no neurodiversity just like just the outfit you know it's funny because it's it's not common they like there you know there's so many different diagnoses that fall under that umbrella a lot of them do and if they're not I'm like probably uh, (laughs) like have like an ADHD autism are two common ones but there's like OCD anxiety disorder um right even right there's this belief that ARFID in itself is a neurodivergence um and so it's it's pretty low like I'm very uncommon if someone says I'm not neurodivergent like (laughs) right there are traits there um Mm -hmm. and you just it's hard to get a diagnosis right so for ARFID or for other oh yeah neurodivergent so I I hear like autistic well like even the fact that there was no even questioning about me being autistic until a decade later I'm like that's severely problematic because like I I I mean you can never look back in time but I honestly think that the severity of my eating disorder could have been way less had my autism been accommodated and accepted and worked with yeah instead of you want to you want to eat the same foods that your eating disorder you have to challenge that fear otherwise you can't leave treatment I'm like okay that was like it made everything worse because um I'm like Mm -hmm. well if you don't understand me, like, I can't trust you. And that's a huge factor, right, of working with any kind of mental health issues or any kind of person, like, that's life. Like, if you don't have trust with another person, like, you don't have anything. That's a huge part of the feeding relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we could just talk for hours. (laughs) But but yeah, now that we are talking about, like, how um, often you do see the neurodiversity, like, obviously, Mm -hmm. not everyone with who's neurodivergent will develop all of it or anorexia or any kind of right. eating disorder. So what exactly. what are some common causes and, and triggers for developing all of it specifically? Yeah. So um like yeah, we talked about kind of the neurobiological component. Like is that in itself a problem? Yes, no. Then there's there's other parts of the trauma. Um and then you brought up like birth trauma and that's something I've been asking more and more about my clients. Like, what was your birth experience? Because there is like a lot of people have some birth, like infancy trauma, yeah. even in the womb, because that's yeah. how we even experience like trauma that young. Um, so it might be, you know, uneven, don't even remember trauma. Right. Um, it could be like an actual, like, especially adults who maybe didn't have um, our fit at all when they were younger um, had, had an event when they are an adult, like a choking event, vomiting event, allergic reaction, um, that kind of triggered it. Um, and then there's like sensory stuff. 
Um, so over time, like I call it like small trauma, like sensory trauma over time, being forced to eat something, pressured to eat something, criticized, right, for their differences yeah. um, or picky eating. Um, and if there's, again, right, trauma just comes masking, right? That's a big one. And um, autistic culture too is like having to mask to seem more normal. That's trauma. Um, there's no accommodations. <laughs> so that's a big one, trauma. Um, and then the cultural, like cultural social component, I think is huge too, because if we were like, oh yeah, like your eating's normal, like you're, that's fine. We don't, you don't have to change. You don't have to eat variety of different foods. You don't have like that label of pickiness. Um, you're or demonizing um, the foods because a lot of people with ARFID, you know, their safer foods might be what's considered by our, our diet culture as unhealthy. Um, um, yeah. So if there were none of those factors at play, like, you know, maybe there wouldn't be an issue, but they're, they're there. And so that can oh, yeah. be, make eating more difficult. So um, those are the big ones. Um, definitely some sort of trauma and arc society <laughs> on top yeah. of potentially yeah, that I neurobiological. Mean, I feel like any type of trauma that happens like after birth, I'm like, is just a messed up society. <laughs> right. <Honestly>. Like, yes. <laughs> I, I think also like, I talk about it in my book too, about how, um, like, I, I personally do believe that my eating disorder, now whether it was anorexia or whatever it was, um, was a manifestation of of my autism, of my neurodiversity, um, especially yeah. what you just mentioned about, like, diet culture, too, and, like, things being unhealthy. Like, in when I was in fifth grade, so, like, literally the time I developed my eating disorder, you know, you learn about health and nutrition, and you have to take, like, the fitness test and um, and all the things and you get weighed at school and you get sent the BMI, like what range you're in, yes. <laughs> all the yeah. city stuff. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, I just remember, like, I, I remember, remember it like, like it was yesterday. Cause I think that's like my, my autistic photographic memory. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say things that I remember and my mom's like, you were three. How do you even yeah. remember that? But I remember sitting like on the rug, like in a circle in fifth grade and, the teacher like pointing out on the whiteboard like if you have an apple and if you have a cookie like you have to eat the apple because the cookie like is going to give you diabetes like I like literally remember her saying that and and like ever since that day I was like if I eat cookies I'm going to get diabetes because I took it so literally literally yeah autistic mind um and and I think that like now how you're kind of explaining that trauma can be like small things like I think even Mm -hmm. her pointing that out on the whiteboard could be trauma like considered trauma um so I think that's also a very important thing that I want to emphasize like for anyone listening like anything that you believe was trauma like is valid because I think that's another thing in society like that's not trauma like trauma is only like being physically abused and I'm like right. that's a very mm-hmm. very extreme form of trauma <laughs> but you also have other forms of trauma um yeah. so yeah again huge misconceptions and um kind of transferring from these misconceptions um what are common misconceptions about outfit so yeah some common misconceptions um one of the biggest ones is picky eating just picky eating oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I hear that all the time um and that they'll just grow out of it like it's you know you know not a problem um and another one is like it's again like it's a problem that needs to be fixed and I, I've kind of talked about this too like is the like 
based <laughs> issues a problem. Um, and uh, I guess in other words, like the full, full, like what's recovery? Recovery um, and full recovery. And I think um, big misconception is it's like similar to that with like anorexia, like the individuals in the love of variety, different foods, they're gonna, yeah. you know, be the able to eat play. normally. Yeah, they're gonna eat, yeah, be able to try 60 million things at the same time. Um, and that is not um, not true. And I think everyone's recovery is so individual and different. It's different for those with the different like subtypes. It's different right. because everyone's different. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like I say the same thing about like, like just any kind of recovery or just life. Because I'm like, you are a different person, so you can't expect to take the same approach to recovery from an illness that's also different, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. and that I think is just a very big problem with the big, massive healthcare system and traditional treatment, just not even for eating disorders, but just for, for any type of mental health, but then zooming out to like general people. And I think it's more of a sick care system, right? Because it's not prevention, it's more like pill culture, right? Especially in the US. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, I remember I had like horrible back pain a couple months ago and he and and I went to the doctor because I was like this is not normal and and she goes here's like three painkiller pills and I'm like are you kidding me I I refuse because I'm like that's slap. it's not a pill problem um yeah but slap but a band-aid on it and it'll yeah, go yeah. away no. the same with like my missing period when I was like severely underweight she was like oh mm. take birth control you'll get a period and I'm like not even looking at the larger situation of like maybe you're not getting a period because you're severely malnourished like yeah um yeah just yeah. it's just very very odd um but yeah we were talking about common misconceptions and picky eating um and I kind of got very lost in thought so I'm that's okay leave the floor <laughs> to you again yeah yeah, those are the biggest ones. I think um, I'm sure there's more um, out there, but those are like the common, common ones. It's time for a quick break to share how you and your loved ones can start to love eating vegetables. Wondering how the heck that's even possible? Well, then you are for sure going to want to listen up and let me tell you about Veggies Made Great. Veggies Made Great is a U.S.-based company that makes eating vegetables both easy and delicious. Whether you want to satisfy your sweet tooth or are craving something savory, Veggies Made Great makes getting in your veggies easier than ever. All of their products have vegetables as the number one ingredient and with their extensive assortment of muffins, veggie cakes, frittatas, and stuffed cauliflower bites, you'll get even the pickiest eaters to consume those oh so important greens. On top of their nutritious products, Veggies Made Great also has two free communities you can join. Their Veducator program, and can we take a moment to appreciate the pun? You know, I just love those. It's for health and wellness professionals to connect with other professionals in the field, share feedback, get access to educational handouts and coupons for clients, and much more. The VegHead community, so that's V-E-G, H-E-A-D community consists of over 10,000 individuals just like you that are always looking for new and exciting ways to fit more veggies into you and your family's diet. 
When you join, you can win free stuff, I mean, who doesn't like free food, chat with health experts, and sample products so that you can share your feedback and allow Veggies Made Great to become even greater. Your biggest asset is your health and your family's health, so make prioritizing yourself and your family easy with all that Veggies Made Great has to offer. To find a store that sells Veggies Made Great near you and learn more about how to join their free communities, simply visit VeggiesMadeGreat.com, so that's spelled V-E-G-G-I-E-S-M-A-D-E, G-R-E-A-T dot com and also be sure to let me know what you think of their products. One of my personal favorites are their double chocolate muffins that contain both zucchini and carrots. I mean, talk about having your cake and eating it too, am I right? Excuse me while I go snag a muffin and dive back into today's episode. Well, now that we are talking about treatment, um, how mm-hmm. is RFID being treated currently? And I'm especially curious to this one because it is such a quote-unquote new diagnosis. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good question because there's right now there's not like one way to do it. There mm-hmm. are a few ways that are being used. Um, one big one's called um, CBTAR. It stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Avoidant restrictive, I guess, eating disorder. Yeah, we um, have <laughs> treatment too. I yeah. had my dose of that <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a lot of like just working on increasing volume of your safe foods um, for weight restoration, food exposures when appropriate. Um, DBT, so dialectical behavioral therapy is another therapy that's used a lot of like emotion regulation, coping skill work. Um mm-hmm. And then I know a lot, especially um, for autistic individuals, systematic desensitization may be used a lot in like younger kids. Um, and but it's not always like super child centered, and uh-huh. lots of masking happening. Yeah, <laughs> this type of exposure therapy work. Um, and then the one therapy that like I use a lot um, is called responsive feeding therapy. Yeah, so I was about to ask it, you about that. <laughs> yeah. So that's like the one that jives most with <laughs> me. Um, there are components of like CBTAR and DBT um, that like I, I pull from, but um, rep- responsive feeding therapy is like the underlying. Um, it really works on facilitating re- and rediscovery of like internal cues. So helping with that interceptive awareness, curiosity um, around foods um, and motivation. So, you know, um, that more intrinsic <laughs> internalized um, motivation to try new foods or just to eat in mm-hmm. general um, and kind of working in a way that builds skills when an individual's ready wherever kind of meeting them where they're at um and I think the biggest thing is it's really flexible right so everybody's different right so what yeah. works for one person is going to work for another person um and the feeding relationships really focused especially for younger kids but I think even just a, like that feeding relationship with others as adults is an important component that yeah. um we don't talk about like community around food and eating um and the biggest thing is like respects autonomy. So autonomy is like an individual's um, right to say yes or no around right. what's free, what's going in their body, for example. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, 
exactly yeah. i mean it yeah. just sounds it sounds like your approach is very holistic which i am yeah. all about um and i think that's kind of that whole idea of yeah. of being label free too like not mm-hmm. slapping label on it like this is how we do it okay now i just <laughs> got that song stuck in my head <laughs> this is how we do it yeah um but but yeah i think <laughs> that especially mm-hmm. as an undiagnosed neurodivergent person for me going through treatment it was always like this is how we do it and um yeah. and when i didn't when i didn't get better when when my disorder seemingly got worse it was like oh you're too complex or oh you like you're just gonna you're hopeless like because our Mm. approach doesn't work um and i and i've often wondered why healthcare professionals say that to people and i Uh and i think it's because they're people too and by basically saying that it's the patient's fault they're off the hook um because there are so many clients that i talk to that have had eating disorders for very long time for a very long time and and one of their like biggest beliefs is i'm never going to fully recover i'm always going to have to deal with this or manage this for the rest of my life and and i asked them like why do you believe that and they're like oh because the healthcare professional told me that like when i was younger and i'm like it's like why like it just doesn't right. make any sense to me um but yeah again that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we won't get into here um but yeah i mean i love to hear your approach about how you say like i i take this responsive eating approach and i i pick from here and i pick from there and really but really just always focusing on that individual and, and what does the yeah. individual need and the autonomy because again like for me i think my eating disorder became worse in treatment because when I wasn't agreeing with something, it was like, well, you don't have a say in this. And it was like forced. Um, but that is trauma. That force is trauma. And when you are traumatized, mm-hmm. your body is is going to respond in, in a rebellious way. It's going to reject that approach. And, right. and then you have like the distrust, you have the tension. And I'm like, how can you ever expect to heal in an environment that is like infested just with tension? Um, because I again, like I think the root the root cause of any kind of illness is stress and distrust. Like whether it be distrust right. of the body or distrust of the cells or distrust of anything. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I love I love to connect with with people that take that holistic approach um, and see people yeah. for who they are because we are all so different and individual and unique. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so kind of with all that said, and, and you said you also work with, with parents and with families, how have you seen that, like, parents and supporters and caregivers, like, how can they best support people with RFA? Like, what have you seen, like, that's really helpful and, and that works or that doesn't work? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, like, validation, because <laughs> that's not given often in healthcare. It's, like, validating that lived experience, living experience, because... I mean, they're just like, this, you know, you're not experiencing that. Like, that's not real. Like, like what? You know, you can just eat this food. Like, it's not a, you know, this all this all this rhetoric around it that um, just doesn't feel supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. Just kind of validating that experience that they have can kind of build that trust, right? That big yes. thing around trust, um, trusting that relationship, trusting themselves, um, and really helping them by supporting um, their felt safety. So making sure that there's safe foods available, like that can be the easiest (laughs) thing to do, make sure they have enough of their safe foods um, and that the environment that they're eating is 
comfortable. So if they need accommodations, like if they're feeling like the noise in the room is too loud, like I like that again, there's all these sensory components. So even the environment's too loud. I have a lot of, you know, individuals who go to school, either in like elementary, you know, under school and even college, like cafeteria is really loud and oh, there's I lots of smells. <laughs> And yeah. they hate they can't eat at school. So how do how do we accommodate that? Can we find a quieter sm- like environment that doesn't have as many smells so they're able to eat at school? Um, mm-hmm. And in the home, like what do they need to feel safe? And that's going to help them feel calm, and so their appetite's right. better, right? Less anxious. Yes. Um, and that I think that a big one is really not no pressure. Mm-hmm. to try new foods really neutral if you're doing exposures or you know trying new foods it's really it's really neutral so there's no positive or negative feedback right. um because that can you know you know in your experience too is like can be like no <laughs> yeah no um Pavlovian uh, conditioning yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that neutralization, again, I'm always coming back to that, like live label free, because I think labels, good or bad, they are the root cause of tension and restriction and distrust. Um, yeah. And and I think even like, I don't even say it anymore that like, uh, anything is healthy or not, because I'm like, if yeah, I yeah. say this is healthy, if that's how I determine it, then anything that's not that, I will be like, oh, well, then that must be unhealthy. And then I'm like, but but then what's healthy and then you get like just crazy in your mind and I'm like I've enough going on in that brain I think we all do um that it's like we don't need labels but I think again it's like because a lot I often get asked and I have a phrase in my book that that's like the question um hey Livia but but isn't autism a label um and I think the the distinguishment is that even a word? The distinguishment that I often make is like, does the label serve like a helpful function or does it like restrict you or like prohibit you? And I think like what you said about like the positive or negative reinforcement and and having trying new foods be a neutral thing. I think if there, even if there's like that positive reinforcement, like correct me if I'm wrong, but like from my like perspective, like I can imagine if someone is very, restrictive in what they eat like say they only eat peanut butter sandwiches like that's all they want to eat um and and someone's like why don't you add a banana to that and and then they want to try it like it's a very intimidating experience but they're like okay like in a neutral environment they're going to add a banana to their sandwich and I think if if it was like wow good job you added a banana I think if I had orphan, like I would immediately be like, well, now I feel pressure to always add a banana to right. prove myself somehow. Um, right. And in, and when it's not coming from yourself, that's never sustainable. Is that kind of right. well correctly yes. phrased? That's well, a good example, right? Yeah. And it's not, I mean, all that's like external, right? right. <laughs> Versus that internal intrinsic, like, hey, did it. I mean, and everyone's different. So how they respond to it. I think that's a big thing is like understanding what feels like pressure, what doesn't feel like pressure um, to an individual because um, every child specifically is going to wreck different same adults. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in the end, it all comes down to like, and that is that root cause of building the trust is, is validating mm-hmm. the individual and ask and like, un- like not necessarily understanding them. Like I always tell healthcare professionals, like if you, do not have lived experience with autism or an eating disorder do not tell your patient or client you understand because you don't <laughs> um like yeah, i know that's right. very like brutal but um but i mean i've taught 
every single autistic person I've I've spoken to about this, they're like, yeah, like one of my biggest like pet peeves, for lack of better word, is when they say they understand, but they don't even have our experience, right? Um, right. but I think Absolutely. validating, being willing to listen, um, and and I guess like um, yeah, accommodating, right? I I think that for not even for just Arvid, but again, like for life, for people, like that's how you have positive relationships. That's how you can function like function best is if you feel seen because in the end like that's I think the main goal of life is to feel seen and understood and heard and like you're allowed to be who you are um yeah without labels right (laughs) yeah Um, yeah there's no like right way to do anything in this case eating right there's no right way um let's say now there's all labels around oh this is a breakfast food this is a dinner like okay we don't need that like I like to eat this at this time like you know removing a lot of those you just like you just like opened a can of worms (laughs) I'm like oh my god that was like one of the hardest things for me too was like um like one of the hardest rules eating disorder rules for me to break was like eating pancakes at like 4 p.m even though Mm -hmm. because it was like and that is another thing that was so harmful in treatment is they they had this word normative that they attached to everything Mm -hmm. and and like they would say well this is a normative food and this is normative food but if you have them together it's no longer normative it's disordered and like now it's so funny because now there's this one combination that I remember so clearly from treatment, she said, it's normative to eat scrambled eggs and it's normative to eat chocolate cake, but it would not be normative to eat them together. Now, I'm just like, that is just that example stuck with me because growing up, um, when before my eating disorder, I would on our birthday, me and my both my sisters, whenever there was a birthday, we were allowed to like skip morning school and we were and we would celebrate with chocolate cake and scrambled eggs ironically um so during my eating disorder I obviously did not participate in this event um but after treatment I was like when I was like very adamant on like we are going to have that just so that I could like even though I wasn't even in treatment anymore just so I could prove that they couldn't tell me what to do kind of right anyways um yeah I don't right yeah, kind of going off on a tangent there, but but I think, yeah, like, like you said, I, I think it all comes down to respecting the individual's needs, neutralizing the situation, um, listening to them and and just guiding them and supporting them. And I think yeah. any any person with Arvid would just be so, so lucky to to work with you. Um, so where can people learn more about you and how can people get in touch if they want to work with you or if they just want to learn more about Arvid and how they can support someone with Arvid? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. Um, so it's arvid.diet at arvid.dietitian. Um, and then my website is just my name, laurenshreefy.com. And so you can find more information there, some posts and like awesome. links to if you have interest in working together more information awesome. yeah and I'll put all those mm-hmm. links um in the show notes as well so you can Great. easily access everything um well Lauren it has been such a pleasure speaking with you and I have learned so much about Arvid and I'm probably going to dive into my laptop and research as much as I can about this because now I'm absolutely fascinated um and and I think you're doing very very important work um 
And I think we're both doing really important work, especially with that yes. neurodiversity component. Um, and and yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see um, what we both will contribute to this world. Because um, like I said, we're doing very important work and we're not contributing to uh, senseless things and big corporations that are just about yeah. consumerism <laughs> and money and monopolizing the world. Um, yep. um, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> um, yep. but, but yeah, anyways, it, it's been so, so great speaking with you. And I mean, I'm sure that we'll definitely get in touch again and do another episode in the future do something together For in the sure. future because yeah um, thanks yeah, this is yeah. so important all right well thank you so much Lauren again for coming yeah, on the thanks podcast. for having me um and then I'll just say bye-bye to all our listeners <laughs> um and um I'll chat with you all in the next episode bye just one foot in front of the other and you'll see This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my wonderful friend, Dharma. And the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.